Hello and welcome to First Flight, a Star Trek Enterprise rewatch podcast where we are watching and discussing each episode of Enterprise in succession. First Flight is a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions Network. This is Commander Tucker of Enterprise. We've got some information you're going to want to hear. Welcome, Enterprise fans. I'm your co-host, Abby. And I'm your co-host, Chris. And tonight we are discussing Minefield, the third episode of season two. Minefield was written by John Chabon and directed by James Conter. It aired first on October 2nd, 2002. But before we begin our discussion, we need to issue a read alert. Tactical alert. All hands to stations. There are potential spoilers ahead, and we might end up talking about any part of the series at any time, so you have been warned, especially for Reed tonight. Yeah, speaking of Reed, at the time of this recording, Dominic Keating, who played Malcolm Reed, has just had a serious accident. His podcast, ShuttlePod, has information on how to send well wishes or donations. We here at First Flight wish Dominic a speedy and simple recovery. Perhaps our discussion of this Malcolm-heavy episode and Dominic's great performance in it will put an extra dose of positivity in the universe for him. So now for a summary of the episode, it's time for the captain's log. Okay, Chris, let's go. Captain Starlog Supplemental. When Enterprise strays into a Romulan minefield, Malcolm Reed works to carefully disarm a mine that has attached itself to the hull of the ship. But when the mine attaches another arm to the ship through Malcolm's leg, Archer must finish the job while Enterprise evades the Romulans. All right, that's a juicy description. It's time to deploy our subspace amplifiers and get into this episode. We'll start with a quick chat about the cold open and then head into our pros and decon section. Each of us will share three of our favorite parts of the episode. And then if there are things that don't gel with us, we'll have a discussion on any decons from the episode. You might hear a dog bark in this discussion if somebody's Porthos pick is mentioned, but we'll still discuss them later on as well. Okay, let's get into this episode. As always, we start with the cold open. Abby, what are your thoughts on this episode's cold open? Okay, I have to say, Enterprise food. It makes me so happy <laughs> to see. I love the scenes. I love that you have to walk through the whole mess hall to get to the special captain's dining room. Like, I, I love it. I love that there were strawberries in this scene just like there always are when there's food or exotic fruits on star or in star trek shows you see the strawberries i mean to this day when they do the close-ups on pike's table in strange new worlds there's strawberries so a little what? bit of star trek yeah i've never noticed strawberries why strawberries and oftentimes kiwis too like it's just something that can look exotic when you cut it different ways they do a lot of Asian fruits too, like like rambutans and Buddha's hands and dragon fruit and that kind of stuff too. But there's almost always strawberries. I mean, think about this: the what's Laan's comfort food on Strange New Worlds to this day? Strawberries. Mm. It's it's very fun. So that made me super happy. The little bowls of strawberries that the steward brings in. The steward who I always wished was Daniel's. Every single time that door opens, now I'm looking <laughs> like, is it Daniel's? Is it bringing eggs? 
but that's just enterprise nerd me. But uh, I also have to say before I get off the food, which is one of my favorites, we know we see Archer using those salt and pepper shakers, those salt and pepper shakers that I covet to this day and hope that somebody <laughs> will make because they're so weird and they look like they would not work particularly well, but they sure do look cool. So there that... can't be that much salt and pepper in them. No, I know. <laughs> I know. That was almost my Porthos pick is the fact that we actually see them in action in this. But I, I had a, I had one that was had a little more meat behind it. But I had to point that out because it just made me super happy that this is how our cold open starts. So I love that even your idioms are food referencing. I didn't even mean it. I'm just I'm just that nerdy. So. What did you think about the food in this part of the episode, Chris? Well, I liked, you know, I liked when they're when he's walking through the mess hall. And I like that we're walking through the whole thing. We're seeing that space and mm -hmm. it's alive and populated by the crew. And there's a lot of, you know, conversation in the background. And I couldn't quite tell what someone was saying, but someone was like, oh, you should try the protein pack, blah, blah, blah. And I was just <laughs> like, yes, it's just it's just life is there. Yeah. And um, that's wonderful to to hear in the background, just building that world out. Well, and sharing food is a part of life. And I love that on a ship this size, the mess hall would be the place that was always busy and full of conversation. Absolutely. Um, so I don't have anything else to say besides that about food. <laughs> but I do love that cold open because it's so awkward. Yeah. Right? Beautifully awkward. And haven't we all have been, like been alone with our boss who we get along with, but then when we're alone... And we're not allowed to talk about work like, huh? What? what are you talking about? Yeah. Well, and it's it's very consistently Malcolm. I mean, mm -hmm. he is kind of an awkward guy. He's he's awkward when it isn't the formal structure that he can know and rely on. And he falls back into that, having been raised that way in the naval family and, you know, now being on a Starfleet ship, it's just instinctive to him. And it is more comfortable than the mm -hmm. informal hanging out and chatting. That mm -hmm. is what he he feels is more natural. So it is very consistent with what we know about Malcolm. I really also love that Archer tries to talk sports with him. <laughs> and he's got like, I've been there where someone's trying to talk NFL with me. I don't, I do college football. Um, but for a long time, I didn't watch that either. And um, just have you no idea what to say. I've been yeah. there. So that was really a human moment. And again, like tying it closer to the 21st century. Yeah. Well, and I like that they use both the term soccer and football. Like it's it's just yes. such a, a connection to how things are now. In fact, I felt like this episode, one of the things that I really liked, not that this is one of my pros, but in general, and you see it starting here, is this episode really felt very connected to this modern time yes, like the yes. the cartons that they're holding have handles like we would have and the suits have all the pieces and things just looked mechanical and like something that really mm. is only one or two iphone generations away from where we are now and i love that about enterprise well, and this episode's a really good example we're going to talk a lot a lot about this later on Ooh, okay um, but to go on like the the principal's office joke. Um, didn't your mother ever tell you not to bring yeah. your homework to the table? <laughs> like all these little phrases that couldn't exist in Picard's 
enterprise, right? Yeah. Um, they're just too far removed from us. But I really love the freedom that the writers have to sprinkle in our modern conceptions and idioms. Yeah, it makes it it makes it feel very grounded. Absolutely. All right, Abby, enough of the cold open. Are you ready to dive into our pros? I sure am. All right. So my first pro that I have here is just in general, the visuals when they are outside on the hall. And this is from the moment that Malcolm first gets out there until they get back in again into the shuttle bay. It's really beautiful i love that every single piece of the hall is numbered and it's and it's yes. numbered in a way that makes sense when you mm -hmm. actually sit there and look at it you're like oh yeah well look nine is right next to 10 which is next to 11 like it looks like something we could have built and the mine design is so cool because you know that that really is a practical effect right there that is a, a piece of something that was built and it looks real and it looks complicated but it also mm. looks intentional and i love how they pockmarked it like it looks like it's been yes. out in space it's got some some age and some wear and tear on it and i liked how when they were out on the hull and you could see um, from one angle you see the ship behind them with all those numbered panels the other angle is the star field and as they're slowly coming out of the minefield the stars are moving slowly behind them when you get those shots of archer and the stars behind them and then when you've got the romulans mm. decloaking and it's just the entire time that they are outside there everything visually is just it matches and it feels immersive and i really appreciate that from a design perspective okay this goes with my number two so i'm just going to move it up there you go because my number two is about the realism in enterprise <laughs> <laughs> so you know at the end of my list is the whole set uh, merges seamlessly with like the prop and the space, just like you said, I love the seeing the nacelle in the background. I love nacelles. Mm -hmm. so, uh, one of my favorite parts of a starship. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> and um, that I I mentioned the 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 pop marks for sure, and the yeah. intricate circuitry, um, and that he can just fiddle with it. Archer's fiddling with it. All those pieces makes it really yeah. really work. And that Enterprise isn't that big. So I don't know, like the scale just works yeah. with them. You see that kind of the rise curved part of the hull that is their backdrop. And it, you know exactly where that is on the ship yeah, like from the big top view. So yeah, I agree. And that pulled out when it pulls out from the close up <sighs> to them and then it pulls uh -huh. out. Oh. oh, I mean, even the visuals of where they hit that first mine yes. and the explosion and the damage. Mm -hmm. I mean, does it look absolutely perfect like today's visual effects? No. Does it still look really good for being 20 plus years old? Yeah. And I like how when you see the shot from the other side, there's still always you can see where that damaged part is, even from the opposite side. You've got the jagged edge like, you know, Cookie Monster came and took one bite out of it. That is such cool detail. It really is. I guess I'll I'll branch into the rest of my absolutely my pick because that was only one part of it. Okay. 
I loved the realism of this episode. It really emphasized the realism of the episode, not only in the references to homework and, <laughs> you know, the World Cup and all that kind of stuff, but also flocks doing chemistry in sickbay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And using a Q-tip to apply it I to know. Hoshi. <laughs> uh, yes. I love that. You know, um, Robert Duncan McNeil and Garrett Wong always talk about on uh, Delta Flyers, actors needing to have business. They love having business mm-hmm. while they're delivering their eyes lines and there's always business for flocks in this scene and everything's so um lived in and hurried and kind of frantic and there's people everywhere in sick bay and engineering on the bridge when the the explosion's happening um it's very real um so i really appreciate that i love when trip comes to the bridge and he's obviously just exhausted and he's (laughs) dirty and he's just kind of breathless and he just sells that, you know, the, uh-huh. the makeup, the costume, the performance sells that he's having a tough time. You know, Jordy comes up under the bridge and he's pretty clean. <laughs> True. I think that's that's even further emphasized later on when he and T'Pol are down in sickbay with Hoshi and she's sitting and they're mm. standing above and you can see he's even dirtier. His hair is must and not in the like, oh, look, I just woke up like this way, tousled way in the yeah, yeah. my God, I've been through a bunch of nasty stuff today and been sweaty and dirty and fried and all that. He's got beard stubble. And one of the things I appreciate about Enterprise and somewhere Melanie is laughing about this is that they do be. <laughs> beard stubble often when they want to show that time has elapsed or that their characters are are getting to a state of being a little bit more chaotic or in Uh. disarray it's very prevalent and it's so subtle but when you start noticing it it's it's there and i appreciate that because that takes a lot of continuity and that means they filmed scenes in a different way than television episodes normally do in order to keep that continuity. And that's, that's admirable. Yeah. And it, but it, it's real. It's real. Exactly. It's Shaving real. takes time. <laughs> yeah. And you don't always have time when you're repolarizing the whole plating or whatever. Um, the, the other thing I don't want to mention was Travis using yes. a joystick. Oh, and, and his hand I cramp love, at the end. Yes. There. I know. I always love that little handshake. And I love that he gets sweaty because it's such a beautiful Travis moment. We have all been there, not necessarily trying to, you know, steer a ship out of a minefield, but playing a game or like doing something so carefully. And he just is so focused, but so sweaty. And it's a beautiful little moment for Travis there. He did something really amazing. And everyone else is just letting him do it. Like, They're like, okay, we're just going to leave him be. He's going to find his zone, and he does. So, of, bravo, of course, Travis. The awesome Travis moment, he's given a great moment, but there's no dialogue. <laughs> there's, there's no <laughs> character. It's just him acting intense, and he does a great job doing it. I want more, Travis. Yeah. Facial acting in this series is amazing. Yeah. He's fantastic. So that that was my pick. The realism from all those components, from performance to props, to the set decoration are just beautifully um, coalescing to create this realism that you don't always get in Star Trek. Yeah. Well, that was a beautiful way to put it. So talking again about realism a little bit here, my second pro is that I wanted to talk a little bit about those EV suits and the costumes that they are. First of all, I know 
that every actor in this series <laughs> and every actor who's ever had to wear an EV suit in <laughs> Star Trek hates them. They are dreaded. They are long. They are hot. They are like 35 pounds at the least. They have microphones in weird places. You can't really go to the bathroom very often. I mean, you name it. These are not fun costumes to wear. And you're likely looping all your dialogue months yes. later. So that's annoying. Yes. Too. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I've heard horror stories about helmets fogging up when people were talking. So they were being asked to mouth their lines, but oh, not actually no. exhale at the same time. And like it, it just. Yeah, but I still absolutely adore these costumes, these suits, these EV suits are my favorite. First of all, the coloration is beautiful. Second mm. of all, they look like the next generation of what we have now, which ties in with your realism. Third of all, it's got those beautiful enterprise logos, a little circular logo all yes. over them. And I love that logo. And fourth of all, in this episode in particular, since we spend so much time outside in them, I know how bulky and awkward these costumes are to wear. And I believe every single moment of Bakula and Keating that they're in zero G wearing these things. They are so fluid and mm. slow. And I can only imagine how hard that was to do in those bulky, horrible, heavy, unbalanced suits. And like, especially when at the end, when Malcolm goes to pull his air tube and we have Archer there and he throws the scanner and then he's trying to leap over, but it's like a slow motion leap. Bravo to those men, because I do not think I would have looked even a millionth of as fluid as they did. Well, it's good that they're all pretty um, fit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right? That probably helps. Well, he's Bacula's been squatting for scenes at a time, so he's he's good. <laughs> that That's true. Um, yeah, I love the little detail of Malcolm when he's laying down and his just arms just kind of always hovering a little bit. Yeah. His yep. torso does a little bit too. Like, yep. he's probably got done, done a lot of crunches on his abs <laughs> the whole day yeah. shooting that yeah. scene <laughs> or days shooting that scene. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I love the copper coloring with the blue emblem, you know, yeah. popping out. Um, I, I don't have any figures, Star Trek figures. I used to have a ton and somehow they disappeared from my parents' house. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I do have a Hoshi. And in that suit and mm. uh it's because it's so cool yeah it's so cool. is i saw somebody at mission chicago dressed in that costume walking around and it was incredible i, ha I have a mm. picture of it somewhere but he's like it's so hot and i never pee well yeah that's a great pick and i that kind of goes along with the realism thing i i almost put the EV suits in my realism kind of list there. Mm. But I'm glad, I'm glad you, you brought it out there. So my next pro is about David Bell's score. Ooh. Now David Bell to me is synonymous with Voyager's the killing game. There's yeah. the famous bomb, 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 yeah. bomb, 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 bomb. Report. It was a thermokinetic explosion in the outer hull. Port forward quarter. Breaches on C deck. D deck. 
Bridge to sick bay. We need medical assistance. Acknowledged. Emergency bulkheads? They're in place. But eight subsections have decompressed. Was anybody in them? Can't tell, sir. Not yet. Find out what happened. And it just repeat. It's so simple. It it's in Deep Space Nine, it's in Voyager, it's in Enterprise. It's if there's action, there's this kind of low brass propulsive beats, and then these kind of climbing, talking, walking mid-range voices that go over it. And it's so simple, but it just makes me feel warm and fuzzy Star Trek. Uh, especially late 24th century, or I guess late Berman era Star Trek. And that happens a ton in this episode. And it's so effective. It really does the job. Um, well, they've spent years teaching us what those tones and what yeah. those sounds and what that music means and it's yes. worked and it's you know it's pavlovian at this point which is actually kind of cool yeah i don't mind being trained on star trek music absolutely not because then there's a little firing in your brain when you're making connections to something exactly. else you already love like the the killing game i watched over and over again with my sister who loves world war ii and um so we watched that a ton when on vhs when we taped it on tv and so that theme is always stuck in my head. And so when I heard it this time, I was like, oh, it's it's David Bell, it's gotta be. <laughs> so that is my second pro, the wonderful score that never fails from David Bell. Well, you know I love Star Trek music, so that is a beautiful pick. All right, my third pro. So, and this is one that I went back and forth on. It is definitely a pro for me. I like that when everything goes wrong and Archer's out there and he's trying to disarm this bomb. And first of all, bravo that he can do 70 degree angles by eye. Like maybe his little <laughs> wrench thing has a number on it that it can tell how many degrees because I was like, man, I liked geometry and I could not do a 70 <laughs> degree angle on a bomb out in space wearing an EV suit by hand by eye. But good. Good on you, Jonathan Archer. Look at those resume building skills on there. <laughs> but uh, I liked that one of the things that he was trying to do to get Malcolm's mind off things was to ask for suggestions about the ship and about his leadership. And yeah. he honestly, he was taking them in. And first of all, it takes it takes a brave soul to be in a leadership position and to ask for honest feedback from those under you. And it also takes a brave soul to give honest feedback. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so I think that this this part of this this part of the plot really, really worked for me. And some of the other banter between them didn't work for me. I felt that it I know they were going for awkward, but it felt forced and not as much in character. But this part, this part I really, really liked. And I liked how Archer talked about things and how he took the criticism in and how he asked clarifying questions. And I feel like this was really a moment of true honesty, vulnerability and connection between the two of them. And I don't think there were enough of those in this series. So I really wanted to highlight this part of that scene. Yeah. I mean, he's, it's leadership one-on-one here and it, the conversation ultimately is about leadership because he brings up how, you know, he had a CEO that didn't want them it, they're your crew not your friends right, right. That, that was a phrase and so there's that kind of situation that um archer and malcolm are talking about how does a captain how does a leader interact with those below them 
And in what kind of situations is this kind of fraternizing, fraternizing? (laughs) (laughs) Socialization um, appropriate. It's late. Um, Yeah. So yeah, I, I enjoyed that talk too. All right, so what are you going to round us up with in prose? So yeah, um, this is it's like so we did not share our lists at all, <laughs> everyone. No, we never do. <laughs> so um, my my last pro is the playful banter between Malcolm and Archer on the whole. <laughs> um, I'm not focusing on the serious um, quote and th- that conversation you brought on. I'm focusing on certain quotes like. Archer coming out saying, I thought you might need a hand. And Reed says, actually, I prefer a leg. A leg. I love it. It's dad jokes. But it, it, it's wonderful, um, little, just light humor. And it shows that Reed can be playful. Yeah. In a dire situation. Right? Yeah. He can't be playful at, at breakfast. But yeah. on the job, he can be playful a little bit in that safe environment where he feels most himself. Yeah. Um, number two, um, that chef's going to be serving roast reed for Sunday Ooh. dinner. Like what? <laughs> that was a little, I had forgotten that that was in this episode until I rewatched the first time. And I was just like, wait a minute, what? And then the second and third time I was like, you know, you <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know that one. That one didn't work for me. Like I get, and when you're in pain as, as someone who's had many a surgery on a bad knee, I understand sometimes you can get the dark humor, but that one that one did not hit for me. No, so it Yuck. worked for me because every joke he's going to make isn't going to land, right? Sometimes we True. try to put something out there and it just doesn't work. And that's how I took it. Like, that's part of his character. He's not socially as fluid as others might be. Um, I hadn't so, thought about it that way. And that's there interesting. Was a, there was alliteration, too. So, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> We're suckers for literary stuff. We are. Do they have Sunday dinners on Enterprise? There's more. Oh, man. I know that would. I know that they've had prime rib a couple times for occasions, but I don't think it was Sunday dinner. Somebody, if if you remember a Sunday dinner specifically, throw that in our comments somewhere, because I would like to go back and and refresh myself on that one. I'm going to be watching for that. Even if they don't, and this is just then a reference to something yeah, from 20th yeah. century Earth that is m- vaguely like religious adjacent, right? After church, <laughs> you have Sunday dinner at grandma's house or whatever. Like, I never did that, but I know a lot of people did. Um, another touchstone to our times yeah. from the show. Yeah. Um, and then when Archer uh, gives them to the uh, medication, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Reed says, please, may I have some more? kind of in that that kind of a playful way well i can only imagine the relief there as like i said as someone who's been through a lot of pain if i could have something that you could inject me that would be like that instant yes please oh absolutely i mean we've both had knee surgery so his leg is injured here and that's ah what a relief yes he's also floating (laughs) in space true with a metallic romulan thing in his leg so uh-huh. give him give him this stuff. Right next to an impulse manifold and a mine. Yeah. 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 He can he can have some some good grace. Oh, uh another one was Archer was like wanted to continue pick up where they left off at breakfast. And Malcolm says, I'm afraid I haven't started following one since breakfast, the sport. 
right? That was a fun little callback to the the soccer or fo football conversation. The last banter, which kind of ends the episode, is your style of command does have its benefit, uh, its advantages. Um, and I love that little moment um, where it comes again, full circle. It's a, a great um, script because there's a lot of interconnected lines throughout the skip, the the script. So that is my last pro. Well, I like that you have made me thought of, think about that in a way that I uh, I hadn't before, and I'm I'm gonna have to on my next rewatch think about it from Malcolm's extra awkward point of view. So I, I like that. Thank you for doing that. All right, so let's move on to the decons, the parts of this episode that just didn't gel with us. And Chris, let's start with you this time. Okay, so I only have one this time. Um, I, I It just didn't gel with me that T'Pol would not rec recognize a single phoneme, a single sound of the Romulan language that evolved on her planet, right? <laughs> Yeah. Right. So we have all these languages on our planet, and there's there's a lot of things that the languages share, fragments of sounds or words, because there's cross pollination, especially in English for for sure. But it's just hard for me to buy that the Romulan and Vulcan language is so different that there's no origin connection. And in fact, I remember in two thousand uh, Star Trek two thousand nine, Uhura talking about the similarities between Romulan and Vulcan. Yeah. Yeah. Different timeline, but that wouldn't have changed. So now that came after, of course, mm -hmm. but um, it just doesn't sit with me that Romulan and Vulcan would be completely unrelated languages that there's no way that she would have any recollection of any words. Even. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. And, you know, I also always wonder with that too, Okay, Hoshi only works one shift a day. She has <laughs> to sleep. So when she gets hurt, why is there not somebody else who does like the second shift or the one of the other shifts there to replace her? They've got to have some skills too. And even if T'Pol would be more qualified, there could be a second qualified person there to be helping at the same time. But that's that's just me. <laughs> so, all right, I have a couple cons on this one. First one is a real short one. Um, Hoshi's injury makeup in this episode always stands out to me. It's yeah. just not looking great. It looks like the coloration doesn't look right. It's not blended well. For a show that does as much phenomenal makeup as it normally does, this one just falls short. And it takes me out of the episode. Yeah, it's like weird makeup on her cheek. Like, yeah, makeup. All she needed was like a bruise or, and some blood on her forehead or something. Exactly. Or like one lump, a good yeah. lump goose egg somewhere. And yeah, it, it just it was it looked like she had some sort of alien disease, not mm -hmm. like she fell and hit her head on the floor on the bridge, even with grading. <laughs> that's it, it just it looked awkward. So that's that's a minor con for me. It's also while we're talking about sick bay, why does Flox not have more staff? Mm. I mean, this again it always always gets to me when we i know it's for reasons of budget and and all that but 
there should be at least some regular nurses. Even Voyager, they had Paris as an emergency nurse when need be, <laughs> and he just doesn't seem to have much of anybody. And everybody who's bringing somebody in thinks their person is the most important and the most injured. And and I just I I just wish him some nurses, some assistants. Well, and there's there's extras all over that ship all the time. Yeah, some with a yeah. blue stripe on it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. I always wonder about that. And then, okay, the P chat, at least I'm going to assume it's just about P. Is this like some sort of guy unspoken thing? Like, I just, I, uh, and like, do we think he actually did or did the Romulans distract him enough? Because it was still a while then. And if I would have gotten blasted by an explosion and only been, you had a shuttle door between me, I mean, I'm thinking he probably eventually let it go. And I just, that felt like an unnecessary detail to me. I understand maybe it was trying to be realistic, but. I, <sighs> yeah. So I, I, I almost put that in, I, I was considering that in my banter pick, but it was, it didn't, it, it was awkward too. Right. Yeah. Um, but is that not the theme? No, but. <laughs> As you were saying that, I was like, okay, so this is a very vulnerable, embarrassing thing, moment True. that they're sharing, bringing in them to, like, there's this thing that they shared now, him peeing, and I don't, it's weird to even say what I'm saying. I'm trying to figure out what, what it's doing there in the script, and yeah. I think it's this, this awkward moment that they're sharing now, because it's awkward for both, like. Yeah. So the guy's going to be peeing right there in front of me. That's awkward. You know, for me as well. Right. As for him. So, but also it might be something, I, I guess the realism of, of being an astronaut in, in space yeah. that we don't get to see in Voyager or G Space Nine or things like that, which I'm glad, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely it, it doesn't gel. It doesn't gel. It, no, it doesn't. It doesn't gel. And even even with the awkward meter that one is that one is extra awkward and it makes me wonder and perhaps that line is there for this but if i had two people one of whom had a bomb through their leg and one of whom was my <laughs> captain i would have an open comm link the entire time so that i could hear what was going on what they were saying if the guy who's injured you know is passing out whatever mm. so but they don't because they have to keep calling back and forth to each other. Mm. So I, it, that's good because they definitely would not have wanted that to have been on the open comm. So it just made me think. Yeah. And I sure. guess my just general con of this episode, and it's, it's one that I just, I keep thinking about, like, I really want to like this episode more than I do. And I feel like it had the bones of, of, of a lot of good things. And it just missed enough for me that uh, enough times that it just feels like an episode that could have been really good. I think about like character building Malcolm episodes, like shuttle pod one, where it was him and trip and mm. this one, it's him and Archer. It's, it's, you know, a two person focus for mm -hmm. a majority of, of the episode and the back and forth. And I feel like I got so much more from other performances than I did from either of these men in this one. And I, and I don't know if that was the writing, if that was the fact that it was in the EV suits. I don't know if it was just me. I, I just keep wanting it to have gone one more level, one more notch, one more, 
one more something because I just feel like it feels almost to me. And that's a very nebulous con, but there are so many good things that we just talked about for so long, but they just don't ever seem to, to become a cohesive mess for me. If that makes sense. Yeah. Notice what we talked about score, the uh, set design. (laughs) Yeah. Props. Costumes. Costumes. And then we finally got to some character stuff. Yeah. So to me, this seems like, this seems like, to use my uh, terminology, someone had an idea for a micro trek, <laughs> one little scene between these two characters and built an episode around that. And there wasn't enough meat <laughs> to go with your idiom before um, to sustain the whole episode. But that really, that scene is rich and awesome. I really like the Archer Malcolm stuff, especially something that's going to come up later. Um so it works for me there. And I'll say that this episode is better for me this time than it ever has been. Um, I've always kind of been bored with it because it is, there's supposed to be a lot of tension, but it's slow. Yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> like you're disarming a mind, but it's slow moving. Yeah. Um, I think that might be the, like, maybe it needed to be shorter, really. Yeah. Like a like a short like a half episode where like all the fluff is gone, it's high tension and but then that would get away, it wouldn't be able to breathe with breathe with the conversation between the two. So um yeah, it's hard to define. I I know what you're saying about it's just like almost there. Yeah. <laughs> and I I really have had such an appreciation for Malcolm Reed throughout this whole rewatch that I've been doing. And in this episode, I mean, again, Malcolm Reed is good at his job and he is exactly the right pick for the job he has on Enterprise. And you see that over and over again. But I feel like I leave this episode just still wanting more Malcolm. And I know that's part of part of his character, but it feels like if you're doing a Malcolm centered episode, I should feel like I got at least one satisfying bite of Malcolm and I don't feel like I did. Like knowing that he's afraid of drowning just is kind of irrelevant in space. Uh, okay. Well, I'll, I'm going to dive into that yeah. more later. Yeah. Um, pun intended. Um, but <laughs> I, uh, I, considering what comes after Minefield, after what we've learned about Malcolm in this episode, it didn't resonate forward and they didn't include these details in impacting his motivation ever again. Right. And I think that harms the episode going forward because there is a nice foundation of like family history, motivation, yeah. core desires, core fears. Yeah. And I'm not talking about the fear of drowning. He has a different fear that's not said because we often yeah. don't say what we really mean and we might not even be aware of what we really mean and think. Um, anyway, so I, I think I think you're right. Um, that this episode it misses a little bit, but the core idea of it is really good. It just didn't fully flesh it out, perhaps, or it, or it wasn't enough to fill in a full episode. Yeah, so I think that that's my 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 end of the nebulous cons, and that will come back a bit when we do our our uh, our verdicts later on our grappler ratings. Mm, but mm-hmm. I think let's pull this back to things that 
we uh, really did enjoy about this episode because there are so many. And we have now come to the time where we'll discuss our favorite part of the episode, our Porthos picks. And it doesn't seem like either of our words were mentioned in the discussion fully. And we will definitely <laughs> expand a bit more here. And uh, I think we need to start with Chris because I think we have danced around yours a bit. So what's your Porthos pick, Chris? All right. So I really love his great uncle story. <laughs> um, it Again, it's tethering us to Earth and something that we know now, submarines. Like it's, it's hard to think of like they have Starfleet and then there's guys in a Royal Navy, but... Who are they fighting? Yeah, who are they defending? <laughs> you know, because yeah. Earth is united. So it's just tradition, right? So there's something there. Yeah. Um, so I really love his story that his uncle was uh, a distinguished naval officer and engineer who faces fear of drowning, died drowning, but he died yeah. saving his, the HMS Clement. Um, after it was hit by a mine, a great irony there. <laughs> and then, you know, he went down. I'll just say this quote from Alcum. He went down with his ship. He did what he had to do to save his crewmates. Malcolm couldn't fulfill his family obligation. And so every moment after that in his life is trying to earn his way into being who he sh thinks he should be right so mm -hmm. it's not, it's, he's not afraid of drowning really i mean he is but really he's afraid of not being his best self or not not achieving um not um meeting the potential that he thought he squandered because he couldn't get over this fear right so like that's why i think he's so business he's so focused on doing his job well no personal stuff He's just focused on being the best armory officer and um, and perhaps for decades of his life, he's just kind of pushed aside all social interaction and focused on trying to kind of overcome the his insecurity or his lack of um, confidence in himself because he can't get over this fear and fulfill the family duty. So I love that speech for that reason. Well, and that's that's really interesting because first of all, when I said, you know, he's he's afraid of drowning irrelevant in space, it's because I also felt like this was a detail that didn't matter in that whole big scene that was something that mattered. So beautiful way to describe it. And it feeds directly into my Porthos, which was my Porthos here has got to be the consistency in Malcolm's character from mm. the beginning to here. And especially when I started thinking about this episode as a Malcolm and Archer and Shuttle Pod One as a Malcolm and Trip mm -hmm. and the similarities and the dissimilarities, you know, one of the things that stood out is that, first of all, Malcolm has a very, I would say, pessimistic realism as his foundation. Yes. He's, he's going to look at facts but he's going to look at facts and predict the, you know, if it's a 50, 50 outcome, he's going to predict the negative as opposed to the positive. Mm. And he's going to be ready to do whatever it takes. And we have seen that since way back. I always think about Terra Nova 
where they're going through the caves and he won't let Archer go first. I mean, that was way back because Malcolm Reed is good at his job. And I will probably say that 10,000 times before I'm done with this podcast. But he he's ready to go down with the ship because he's trying to prove to himself that he can. Right. Yes. Because he couldn't do the boat. He couldn't do the boat, but he can do space. He can die up there. Yeah. Hero and, and earn something for himself. Right. Yeah. And it's not the first, second or third time that he's stayed back somewhere or been willing to sacrifice himself or resigned himself to to death or probable capture or any of that. I mean, you're absolutely right on that. And I think we see that all the way back in in Detained, where he was disguised Mm. as the Suliban and coming. I mean, that was that was a heck of an undercover mission and without a blink, because he is always ready to do whatever is necessary to be the very best at his job. And and then going back to shockwave part two, where he's getting beaten. Yes. He's he's ready to do whatever it is to earn um, purpose or or confidence for himself. I can't find the word that I'm trying to find, but that's because it's late. But yeah, Yeah. I, I think I've said what I needed to say about that. Yeah. So I think, I think again, even though I've been saying this doesn't work for me, I want more Malcolm. I want more Malcolm. One of the things that the reason I want more Malcolm is because I like Malcolm's character so much that I want to have more depth, more story, more time with this character to get more because I am intrigued and I have been watching him differently this rewatch and I know that it's not going to be as much as I'm ever going to want it to be. So yes, yes. that's that's one of the things that I think does tint these when I watch them. But I come back to the fact that the reason I'm disappointed it's not there is because I like what is there so much. Well, and you know what really is there? I mean, you've said like there's this ambiguity where you can't say why it's not fully there with this episode. But that is the Malcolm character. And imagine yeah. having to play that as an actor. That's yeah. nuance, like an in-between back and forth kind of nuanced acting that um, we got to give credit to Dominic Keating because um, yeah. I think he plays him beautifully in this episode with a lot of humanity, but also it's tight-lipped. Like it's almost harder than a Vulcan in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Accessing library computer data. All right, here on First Flight, we love trivia and behind-the-scenes tidbits, so we pick a few to share about each episode. So, Abby, why don't you start tonight? All right, so I have a deleted scene that is not in the episode, but you can find on some of the Blu-rays or online if you really search hard. It's got a couple medical terms in here, so forgive any pronunciation errors, but I really think this one would be a fun one to have left in. It's between Hoshi and Flox in sickbay, and she tries to stand up, and he tells her more that her injuries don't appear to be serious, and the present circumstances should not keep them from continuing their Denobulan lessons, and it's a little bit about I see it as him trying to test her to see if she's actually ready to go back on duty or ah. how bad she is because he they're re talking about the anatomy and he's asking how to say thyroid gland and hypothalamus and xiphoid process. She gets the first two right, but she makes the mistake on the last one saying a word that could have been misinterpreted as big toe <laughs> and he keeps going. So I think while this is 
first of all, just a cute thing to know that they're still doing Denobulan lessons after all this time. And I love Hoshi and Flox together. Yes. I think this is another way to show Flox is assessing her in a different way that she might not realize to see how she's doing in her recovery. And I just think that would have been cool to leave in there. And it, had it been streaming, they probably would have. Well, you know, and this this brings up maybe perhaps what's missing from the episode for you is the other characters all satisfy plot points, but they're not character. There's not a lot of character yeah. to them. This is providing some character for the Hoshi and Flux, and I love that from all the way back to Dear Doctor, right? The the yep the Denobulan lessons. So I love yep. that. I could see why they would take it out though. It might like you know stop the flow of the episode, but um, yeah, I think I, I want more Hoshi and Flux. I'll take it. Always. All right. What's your trivia for us tonight, Chris? So mine is um, my deep Voyager love um, heard the word tricobalt when Malcolm <laughs> was scanning the mine and he said it's armed with a tricobalt explosive. And I'm like, oh, oh Tuvok used tricobalt devices <laughs> to destroy the caretakers array. <laughs> and then that that pinged the Voyager conspiracy where we yep. learned that tricobalt devices are powerful enough to tear holes in subspace. So that tells me this: these Romulan mines, <laughs> super powerful, pack quite a punch, and really suggest how advanced the Romulans are at this time. Yeah. And unless it's one of those, you know, chainsaw, not scalpel things, where they're like, come close to our planet, we're blowing you up one way or the other. But yeah, I, I, whenever I hear Tricobalt, I think about the Voyager conspiracy and Seven's clip tones talking about all the different <laughs> ways that a Tricobalt device pulled it into subspace. And yeah, that's a great connection. So what a cool piece of trivia. Yeah, I, well, I love Voyager. I love an enterprise. Love when those connections come. It, it's that truck world building that these devices and the technologies existing in multiple series. So. Well, it's come to the time for our final thoughts and grappler ratings. Chris, on a scale of one to 10 grapplers with half grapplers possible, how do you rate the episode overall? I haven't decided yet. <laughs> this is hard. This is a hard one to to rate because <laughs> I think that core scene um, between Malcolm and Archer with the uh, great uncle story is great. Um, so I think I'm going with a 7.5 out of 10 grapplers um, for the strong character moment. Um, that should be foundational and grounding everything we see going forward, which I can't wait to continue on in the season and see connections mm -hmm. if there are. Um, but I think as we've discovered, perhaps there's not enough for the other characters to flesh out this story. So 7.5 out of 10 for me. What about you, Abby? Yeah, we're in, we're in similar thoughts. And I think that anyone who's been listening to this entire thing realizes that this isn't going to be one of my highest of the season. But I also don't feel like this is bad. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing like awful. Mm -hmm. It's just fine. And it leaves me wanting more in a way that's both completely satisfying and unsatisfying. <laughs> so I feel like this one is just fine. Like if if this was 
something that you had to grade on, you know, with a letter grade, it would be a C. So it's it's a seven out of ten grapplers for me. And sure. I do wish, you know, we we just had the second part of Shockwave where we did see everybody, but they didn't have a ton to do. We just had an episode that was almost, you know, completely to Paul. I I wish we would have had more of everybody in this one, and it would have been. Been been a little bit more sped around. This might have hit differently later on in the season, even just two or three episodes down the line. And I know that it's setting up next week, which I am super pumped for. But I, this one just it's it's fine. I'm ready for the next one. <laughs> so that seven is is pretty solid for me. Yeah, I think that's a fair score. My chronometer's running backwards, sir. Incoming transmission. You read my letter. We want to remind you that we adore getting feedback and thoughts from listeners. We collect them, and starting this season, every few months we will do a mailbag episode where we share and discuss your insights and ideas. Please drop us a line whenever you have something you'd like to share and you might be featured on our next mailbag show. And if you would like to continue the discussion with us, share your Porthos pick, grappler ratings, or anything else, as Chris said, you can reach us at First Flight Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also are on at the Tricorder Transmissions Network YouTube channel. You can reach me personally at Abby M. Summer. That's S-O-M-M-E-R. And uh, that is on Twitter. I am exploring Mastodon, but haven't moved over there yet. So... We shall see where that goes. Chris, what's the best places to reach you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Shelf Nerds. And on Hive, I've, I'm there here and there. Um, Shelf Nerds as well. And then on YouTube at my YouTube channel, Completing the Shelf, where I talk a lot about Star Trek. We want to thank you for spending this time with us. It's been a fun discussion. We'll be back next time with Dead Stop, the fourth episode of season two. And as always, we leave you with this quote from Captain Jonathan Archer and your moment of Melanie. The most profound discoveries are not necessarily beyond that next star. They're within us, woven into the threads that bind us all of us, to each other.